0: This is Beth,
1: and this is Jeff,
0: and this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Hey, friends, welcome to episode 65. 65 is actually the second of a three-part series. We're covering the question that we get often at a Christian Enneagram business of, should Christians use the Enneagram? Great question. And we've wrestled with this for many years. We started using the Enneagram back in 2001, and Jeff being in seminary, we wanted to make sure that whatever we're using can align with the truth of the gospel. So we've wrestled with this, and we're bringing to you from your Enneagram coach, a gospel-centered approach to the Enneagram. But this is a great question. So, episode 64, the one right before this, if you didn't listen, please go listen to it. That discussion is Thinking Theologically About the Enneagram. In episode 65, which is this one, we're going to do a response to the history of the Enneagram. And in the next episode, we're going to tackle the Christian approach to using the Enneagram. We really believe that these three episodes are going to be very impactful and helpful to you and others that really want to understand the Enneagram and how to use it um, rightly before the Lord. So we're going to dive right in with my husband, Jeff McCord. We're going to talk with Adam Breckenridge and Tyler Zock, who are also both pastors, and unpack this for you. So here we go.
2: so what we're going to do uh, in this next section is talk through and apply some of these concepts to the origin stories and testimonies that we have about the Enneagram. And we wanted to take some time to define them so that you understand what we're talking about and how, from this perspective, it we understand and interpret these testimonies and stories in a particular way. Um and we apply this theological framework to how then we use the enneagram, because we're not just taking uh, everything that some of these initial thought leaders have shared, um, but we're caught, we're actually ca- um, bringing about very clear boundaries and taking it a whole another direction. Tyler, you've done such an excellent job in uh, your article about should Christians use the enneagram on the history of. Uh, the enneagram and even some recent interviews that we shared with you there's we're still learning more because we want to make um, it, it it's just kind of fascinating uh it it this do, the enneagram did not come out of a think tank uh where there was research and a university involved i mean we're dealing with something that was radically different than that it came more from a wisdom mystic tradition eastern mysticism tradition uh trained psychologist and inspirational moments and retreats i mean this isn't it's just different. So Tyler, why don't you walk us through uh, some of the history of the Enneagram and why it brings up such concerns for Christians?
1: Yeah. So some Enneagram authors have claimed that the, the roots of the Enneagram can be traced back to the desert fathers and mothers, you know, the fourth century. Um, we, it's just hard to know for sure because there's just not a lot of clear evidence. So I don't feel compelled to try to defend the Enneagram of trying to say it, it came from Christian sources way back when, because we just, we just don't know. Uh, the first mention of the Enneagram, uh, was by a Russian philosopher who, who attributed it to his teacher, uh, who was a Greek American philosopher named Gurdjieff. Uh, and then later on, uh, there was a guy born in Bolivia named Oscar Chazo who expanded on the Enneagram and taught what he knew to, um, a Chilean born psychiatrist, uh, De Claudio Naranjo. And then Naranjo, uh, Taught the Enneagram to spiritual leaders uh, in the U- the U.S. Uh, and so he he taught it to a guy named Father Robert Oakes, who then brought the Enneagram to the Jesuit School of Theology. Uh, and then it's been said that uh, Franciscan Richard Rohr, who you mentioned earlier, uh, was told by his spiritual director that lay people cannot handle the Enneagram with care and wisdom, and so he was told not to pass it on. Uh, but I listened to a, an interview with him and Ian Cron and. Uh, he had said that uh, Helen Palmer was the one that broke the ice and wrote about the Enneagram. And so once Rohr saw that she had written a book, he said, okay, i got to break the silence, too, because other people can benefit from this tool. So he started writing about it, teaching about it. Uh, and then there is a Jesuit uh, Don Rizzo, who also taught the Enneagram after it spread through Catholic communities. And so in 1997, he co-founded the widely known uh, Enneagram Institute, which some of the listeners may be familiar with. Uh, and then, you know, came along uh, Ian Cron and Suzanne Staville, uh, have who have, uh, you know, wrote a massively popular book The Road back to you, which sort of launched the Enneagram into Protestant evangelical circles. Uh, and then, you know, the McCords have been uh, teaching this uh, and been, been, yeah, just been in the, studying the Enneagram and teaching it for about fifteen years now. Uh, and then there's been a number of other uh, teachers as well, um, but the McCords. You know, hats off to you. You guys have done a phenomenal job of, of really teaching it through a Christ-centered uh, perspective. And so uh, you guys have had massive influence, and and uh, I just appreciate your work so much.
2: Hmm. Okay, I, I, I've got to be honest with you. It's, it's very weird for our name to be associated with the... Uh, <laughs> Different veins of or schools of the Enneagram. In the and, and it's States. true, there are different
0: schools. I the, mean, all of these uh, are very different views and uses of the Enneagram. I think mean, that's really important for people to realize they're all coming from the same perspective. Um, and that, that's an important understanding when it comes to the Enneagram. Cause I know that, you know, when people do Myers Briggs or Strength Finders, there is one hub that you go and you get trained and you follow their training. That is not how the Enneagram is.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's much it's important. more communal. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting uh, hearing a, a few things. We, we spent some time interviewing some of the people who actually sat under Naranjo. And um, matter of fact, I think uh, Ichazo is still alive. Uh, I think he lives in Hawaii. If I'm, uh, I mean, he's, he's quite older now, so he may have passed. Um, but it's interesting, uh, a few of the things to highlight regarding the history of the Enneagram. Uh, some concerns about Gnosticism have come up because... Echazo uh, was very reluctant to share the Enneagram with anyone. It was almost like you you had to be a privileged person because he did not want to share his insights uh, with just anybody. Now, the interesting thing about it is that the way the Enneagram is taught today, Echazo would not recognize it. He only dealt with the instincts. He did not deal with the numbers and personalities. And so even Naranjo actually... Added his own understanding to it and uh, did something different. We we talked to a couple of people who sat under Naranjo, and um, people talk a lot about his experience uh, in private retreat. Well, Ichazo would hold these retreats down in South America, and Naranjo really, really wanted to be a part of it. And I think they lasted for several months, possibly. Well, Ichazo said you're not ready for it, and I didn't trust him. So I, if I understand it correctly, and that he said, you need to go be alone. And that's where Naranjo went off and started creating his own thoughts. Uh, what's interesting too is that, um, so if I understand it correctly, uh, and these are oral accounts of this, so I want to be sure that, you know, that I, I can't prove every little step here. But Naranjo was concerned that this content would get out. And so he had handouts. Well, Helen Palmer, I don't believe, sat under his teaching. She somehow got a, um uh, you know uh, people have shared with us that she got a hold of his worksheets and his teaching and then ended up writing a book and there was a legal case that came out about that but that all to say that the the enneagram wasn't this codified book of knowledge of, with an authoritative text it was like these out of the ordinary trained psychologist or uh, gurus that were putting some thoughts together and their students were kind of morphing and changing it and reinterpreting, adding to it, taking away from it. Um, and so it never really was static. It, it there was a, there wasn't a I think some people might think of the Enneagram in terms of Joseph Smith and the Mormon church that Naranjo received insight from what he may call um, automatic writing or um, from, uh, I think a mayo, or somebody may have experienced some meeting with an archangel and, and then like an authoritative text. And then there are these followers that came and agreed to this authoritative text. And there were spiritual practices, like a religious practice that they needed to uh, replicate in their own practice of the Enneagram. It's not that at all. Uh, Matter of fact, I mean, it was interesting hearing from some of the first generation teachers in the States that uh, Naranjo would come back and he'd teach in these small groups in California, and they would correct him in the meetings themselves. Like, no, Claudia, I think it's actually this way and not that way. Like, even he was still working out his thoughts on the nine types and personality. And then all of a sudden you had all these different teachers go out where Richard Rohr added a Catholic mystic perspective on the Enneagram that probably was not shared by Naranjo. And that was kind of fair game. That was the kind of community that the Enneagram was, is that you could bring who you were and your worldview and teach it from that perspective. What are some of the, the highlights, uh, Tyler, when you think of the history of the Enneagram? What are the concerns that most people bring whenever they hear about the origins of this thought, this new paradigm of personality.
0: We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yournegramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening, but when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at your forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today.
1: Well, one of the things I've heard recently, there's a couple, even in my own city, that, that did a video on the Enneagram. And they, they pointed out that uh, Claudio Ho had, um, had practiced this thing called automatic writing uh, and sort of got this Enneagram knowledge from, from a supernatural source. And, and so that got me thinking about that and researching more about that. And, um, and so just, just upon hearing that, they, he's been labeled sort of this, this crazy occultist. And uh, before even mentioning the the automatic writing, and maybe I can let um, Adam talk a little bit more about that. But the one thing I do want to point out uh, is that Claudio Naranjo, you know, really, you know, brought the the Enneagram to the U.S. And he was an intelligent, well-trained, well-studied psychologist who started out as a medical doctor uh, and then later moved into psychiatry. Uh, And then after leaving Chile, he came to America and really – went to some Ivy League schools. He studied at Harvard as a visiting scholar, and then he later went to Berkeley. He uh, even learned under many well-known philosophers, such as Paul Tillich and Karen Horney. And so people like to write him off as a, as a crazy occultist, but if you uh, really get into his teachings, if you read his books, and I've read a couple of his books now, uh, they read more like a psychology manual than anything. Like he was taking what he had learned uh, the psychological insights that he had learned um, from Gurdjieff, um and Ichazo, and he was using what he learned in the U.S. and in, in, in the school of psychology, and he was like overlapping these these insights to try to perfect them and, and self and verify them. Uh, and so, so when he when we hear that when we hear that Naranjo said that he uh, got this got the enneagram through this practice called automatic writing. Um, I kind of get skeptical of that, you know, because much of what he brought out of uh, brought into the world and started teaching, uh, was just his uh, psychology insights.
0: Well, and actually we talked to two of his students, um, that are Enneagram experts on that. Um, and being a type five himself, he has a, you know, a war case in his mind, you know, like all of these things that he studied and really, when you kind of watch the video that he said it on, you know what our friends had said is that he can be pretty. What was the terminology they said?
2: A trickster guru, I think, was the term that that they used. Yeah, where he, he's almost playful and sort of deceptive in how he talks about
0: things, and universe. very dry and detached, right. and, and and that. And so, you know, I just bl- I pointly asked, you know, did you ever notice any kind of occult? type practices or beliefs, you know, that would make us think that the words he used with automatic writing do, in fact, coincide with an occult practice or belief. And they were like, no, there there was never any indication that that was a part of his belief system or how he treated what he's learned, especially with the Enneagram. So, you know, I, I think that when you hear someone say that terminology, whether he was saying it tongue in cheek and being kind of a trickster, or if he was really being serious, it's not. It doesn't mean that he is equating that terminology to um, an occult demonic download. It, it is interesting
2: to think of it in the in the season in which he's writing this new age spirituality and self actualization. I mean, he was really kind of a man of his time, embracing trying to bring in all these different worldviews and spiritual practices into kind of secular psychology as well and putting together the system. So we're not saying necessarily that we shouldn't be concerned about that. Right. We're not saying that at all. And we're grateful. We shared the same concerns, all of us here. Um, but it it is interesting to think about it, that the, what we may be assuming in his use of the term automatic writing may actually not be what he intended, mm-hmm. but in accommodating or assimilating some of these other terms and spirituality, he may have just been described. He never, if I understand it correctly, he never really described what that meant and that what he may have meant could have been on retreat experiencing inspiration and the word that he used to define that is automatic writing. Uh, but Adam, you have some other thoughts on that as well.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, we're speculating, right? We don't, exactly know what he meant I, I have a thought it could be laughable it, it could be plausible but um, I think you know first of all when when which that's kind of a uh, story of my life basically by, by the way anytime I show up to anything <laughs> um, so you know like we've said when Ranho talks about automatic writing first of all it's very important to 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 note that he never claimed to be downloading something from a higher power he was however what we do know this is what we do know is that he was definitely writing about stuff, as Tyler pointed out, that he already knew, okay? And, and that he had spent years and years and hours and hours researching, studying, testing, observing, and teaching. So in light of that, here's my suggestion. Uh, my suggestion is that Naranjo was automatic in the sense that we might say Steph Curry is automatic. Uh, or I'm a <laughs> 90s kid. I'm a 90s kid, so I'll go with Michael Jordan, right? So yeah. Jordan is automatic on the floor. I mean, he's not hes not thinking about it. He's acting out of habit. He's acting out of muscle memory. He's pulling from years and years and hours and hours of practice and learning and training. And on the court, he he is what we would call in the zone. We're mm-hmm. like, there's an actual term for this now. Um, I think that's made it into the dictionary and it's the term flow, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's in a flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I can picture... Naranjo. Or I can picture any writer. I can picture myself as a pastor who writes sermons, holing up in my office and being in the alone zone and getting in the zone and writing. And sometimes this gold is coming out, and it's coming from a deep place within. And it's it's all these filing cabinets that you know he has in his mind where all this information is stored. Like you said, Beth, of stuff that he's learned, observed, tested proven, worked out. So um, that's, that's, that's kind of my working theory on it. It's, like, it's, almost, it's almost like you see him in his office, hold up. He's a five, right? So he's, he's behind closed doors and he's, he's getting in the zone. And, and the stuff he's writing is stuff that he's, he's learned. I mean, Tyler did a great job of summarizing all these institutions and all these amazing people that he studied with and studied under. Clearly, he was a very learned guy. And so again, I mean, what's most important to me is that he never said he was in his office and some higher source came over him and now he's holding the stylus or the pen and he's drooling and he's in a trance and he's like some, some theory of inspiration where like God or some other higher power has some demon or something has taken over him and is now giving him this information. He never, he never said that. So I think, uh, and that's not really an argument from silence. I think you could look at the way Naranjo talked about his work, and he never even suggested anything close to that.
0: Well, and like I said, the people that were closest to him and learning from him, they too never saw anything close to that. So, you know, I think those are just those are just assumptions uh, to go along with a, a particular narrative that one might have.
2: Well, and, and please understand, listeners, that we're not trying to minimize his use of the word automatic writing we're just saying that there are other plausible answers not just something that was occultic uh, number two we're not trying to minimize that he did not hold a christian worldview. view uh, he was not a follower of jesus and that was represented in his uh, initial thoughts regarding uh, each of the nine types and the instincts the subtypes uh, all of those different things So. We, we don't want to minimize that, but we're just calling to question that based upon the testimonies of his students and the way that he uses these terms, that there were plausible realities that it may not mean what we think it means from the Christian perspective, where we are, uh, we are commanded in scripture to test the spirits. And, you know, anytime, um, a spirit comes to someone or an angel comes to one and, um, give some kind of revelation, like that's very concerning for the Christians, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Um, But in this, it didn't seem to happen in the way that we often assume. Uh, And then uh, secondly, it wasn't embraced as authoritative the way that uh, other world religions may have come about. Uh, This isn't like Joseph Smith in Mormonism. Um, And so, well, why don't we move a little bit further and. start to apply some of these theological categories to it. Um, So one of the concerns uh, that comes up is astrology. And sometimes I think it comes up as it relates to the diagram itself uh, being a geometric figure uh, in constellations. Uh, Sometimes it's because of the numbers and numerology. Like there really were some, um, I remember reading in Rizzo and Hudson about some of the numbers and why the Certain personalities go in certain directions, uh, what they used to call integration and disintegration or stress and growth. But what are your thoughts? I mean, you guys have been are well read about the Enneagram. I mean, what are your thoughts?
3: Does the Enneagram speak to
2: astrology at all? Tyler,
3: I'd love to know uh, if you've come across this, but I've, I have not come across anything uh, connected to astrology or, the, or integrating astrology with with the Enneagram. I had a professor in uh, college that whenever we would ask questions like this, he would use the phrase, uh, those two things are non-comparable particulars. <laughs> you, you can't even, you can't compare them. They're, they're on two different planets. They're two different things completely. And so, I mean, I suppose the way the Enneagram works that someone could integrate it with whatever way of thinking they want, but I've, I personally have never encountered that. And what about you, Tyler?
1: Yeah. Same here. You know, I have about 20 different books or so that I pull from Christians and non-Christians writing about the Enneagram. And I just have not read any sort of unpacking of astrology. I could see how people might see that uh, with the the way the symbol is. Um, And some authors allude, they start talking about numbers a little bit, but I've just never seen any sort of teaching on it. And uh, I just, even if there was, even if I found a book on it, I wouldn't find much use for it. Uh, you know, we're talking about what what we can redeem, uh, you know, from the Enneagram. And Bethy, what about you?
0: No, I have never in 20 years ever. Ever. I don't even, honestly, yeah. No. And,
2: you know, what's really interesting is that uh, the Enneagram is being applied to everything right now, uh, to essential oils, to <laughs> gift giving at Target. I mean, there are so many ways that the Enneagram is being applied. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I... I've not seen the Instagram account where someone has applied it to astrology. Yeah,
0: and, and it might be out there, but that's not an influence that we have seen yes. up to this point. Um, right. Yeah, so. Well, uh, part of,
2: uh, one of the big questions, too, comes uh, uh, related to Gnosticism. Um, now, Gnosticism was a, a heresy of the early church that was dealt with. Um, Gnosticism is the idea that we are primarily just souls entrapped in these bodies. Um, and the way that you get out is through this idea of secret knowledge. And it it has impacted Christianity on a variety of different levels. I mean, the incarnation is, a, is the biggest apologetic against Gnosticism. One, God wanted to be known and entered into creation, and he did so in a physical body in which Jesus now will perpetually and eternally exist in a physical body. Like it Um, Gnosticism doesn't have anything to do with, um, Christianity, Mm -hmm. but there are some, some of the teachers have kind of introduced some of these ideas of Gnosticism. Even the very concept of personality has some basis in Gnostic teaching about this kind of true self, false self, that there's, there's this true self trying to get out, um, that is kind of this divine spark, this spirit part of you that all these other things are getting in the way. But Tyler, you had some thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've run across this a lot in ministry um, is in terms of the dualism, the, you know, the body being bad, the soul being good, that sort of thing. Uh, but I think just in this context, I think, you know, I've, I've heard some um, opponents of the Enneagram just say, hey, it's Gnostic, so watch out, you know. Um, but I think, I think where we need to be just cautious is that, you know, Gnosticism is really... Uh, it's, it's people claiming to have like this special, somewhat complicated knowledge. And uh, I heard Naranjo even say that he, he liked that. Like he liked that it was this, this, this really deep, um, knowledge that only, only certain people had that were privy to, you know? And, uh, and so we should be skeptical of anyone who sort of claims to have this special knowledge uh, that no one else has, you know, for us, uh, the Bible mm. is our truth source, uh, you know, if I say anything that's from my own self, uh, inner self, or claim to, to, to know something from a divine or supernatural source, you know, we should be skeptical, because uh, the Bible for us is our truth source. It's our only, it's our standard, it's our plumb line, it's any knowledge we come across, even in our Enneagram books, uh, even in our Christian bookstore. You know, one of uh, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Keller's associates uh, had, had told me, and this is just a big issue in our Christian bookstore. You know, like we, we need to not just uh, analyze uh, non-Christian authors and sources, but even, even books that would claim to be Christian, we need to, to put all of it under the authority of, of the scriptures.
2: You know, it's, it's interesting in Hebrews chapter one, you know, in the past, God spoke through prophets and our forefathers, but in these days, he has spoken to us through the person of Jesus Christ um there what god intends to be known he has made it known through general and special revelation and we can take great assurance in that well for this last little bit i'd like to land the plane a bit and begin to apply what we talked about earlier in the podcast and now with uh combined with the origins of general special revelation christian's relationship to being in the world but not of it um and so when you think about hearing the store the origin stories of uh, and testimonies of the Enneagram, I don't want to say origin stories as if they're not true. Um they they really are testimonies. These events did happen, these people were existed, they're not just fables. Um but how then do we answer how do you land to say, well, I believe it's okay for Christians to use this tool that was developed by those who were not Christians and had other spiritual beliefs?
3: Yeah, I'll I'll jump in. I mean, I just want to say, first of all, I I think it's perfectly right. We are perfectly right, uh, as we've all said already many times, uh, to discuss the origins, uh, to always consider the source. And I think at the end of the day, uh, no Christian should be an apologist for the Enneagram I and mean, make the flag you fly like Jesus and um, loving uh, God and one another and your enemies, and you're going to win. So, if that's your flag that you're flying, that's mm-hmm. great. So, I don't, on the one hand, I don't think we need Christians who are Enneagram extremists or apologists in that sense, but also um, feel the freedom to, you know, if your conscience doesn't allow or troubles you. Uh, you know, Paul has some words about that in Romans. So, I, I you know, um, I think it comes down to, to the individual and their conscience. And I think for me, I'll t- where I've landed is I'm not I think about this like a pastor. And so I'm, 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 I'm very thankful, first of all, that people are concerned about wanting to remain in the truth and they're concerned about doctrine. And I think it's my job as a pastor to help guard the doctrine. Uh, and lead people into truth and so um, but I'm not personally as concerned about the source as much as I am about the usefulness of the theory and the tool and, and um, you know I think this somewhat argument can come down to a little bit of a genet- genetic fallacy of uh, just because we don't understand the origins of something or don't like the origins of something uh, it can't be relevant or useful it's kind of like what what good can come out of Nazareth right well apparently a lot a lot of good can, can come out of <laughs> Nazareth um, God has always been in the business of pulling uh, good things out of bad places I mean it's kind of what he does he pulls life out of death he pulls something out of nothing it's just kind of who he is and so um, I think for me, it comes down to that. And it comes down to, to the truth that all truth really is God's truth. And that is a confession that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of a lot of brothers and sisters in the faith who have held to that and believe that. I mean, that we've quoted Augustine a lot here in this podcast. He clearly taught that. Um, I'm staring at a lot of quotes in front of me and at the, at the thought that we're going long, uh, I won't read them, (laughs) but I mean, there's, there's just, there's so many quotes, uh, uh, the you know, Thomas Aquinas, who we've quoted as well, develops the idea again. In all of his theological and philosophical works, this this idea continues to show up. John Calvin picks up the idea. He picks up right where Augustine and Aquinas left off. I will read this actually, because this is Calvin and his commentary on Titus. He says this in chapter one, verse 12. He says, quote, "All truth is from God." And consequently, if wicked men have said anything that is true and just, we ought not to reject it, for it has come from God. <laughs> uh, it's pretty pretty clear. And then he he develops that has a lengthy quote in his Institutes as well. So I think there's truth. Um, there's truth. There's some self-verifying truth in, in that's revealed through the enneagram. That when you read about your type, it's it's. Um, I've never ever had anyone. Beth, I'd be curious. You've been working with this tool a lot longer than me. I've never had anyone that has hasn't discovered their type and read about it and has said this is this is totally untrue there's there's mm-hmm. no truth in this or that people that know them and are in close relationship with them that read about their type that say this is totally untrue I think it's, it's some self-verifying just truth that's revealed um, right in terms of emotional struggles and core longings and defensive patterns and gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, of each type, and so where there is truth anywhere we find it um i'm I'm of the persuasion that God is the source, and that we're okay to embrace that truth I mean look man, demons in the New Testament say true things, so when a demon looks at Jesus and says, "I know who you are, you're the Holy One of Israel I'm going to agree with the demon um i'm I'm gonna actually so I'm actually going to say, you know what? That demon's telling the truth. So, like, uh, you know, demons know who God is, and they shut
0: up. Well, I think, you know, I think this all comes back to really seeing that there are going to be things in this world that are not focusing solely on God and believing His ultimate truth of Jesus Christ, but they do have truth in them that we can gleam from, And then, how do we glean from it and restore it and bring about what is actually true from it, from scripture? And if we can't do that, then yeah, let's throw it out. If, If we cannot align things with what we're learning with God's truth, then we shouldn't be using it. And so, that has been the goal for you, Jeff, and I, for us to make sure that whatever we're teaching and whatever we're doing we are making sure it's aligned with the truth of the gospel. Now, we're not perfect. We, every day, we're trying our best to know our heart. That's the whole point of why we use the Enneagram is to know our heart, to see when we are misaligned with the truth of the gospel come under the submission of the Holy Spirit, ask for forgiveness, and surrender and depend on Him to work in and through us anew so that we can become more like Christ in the way He has designed us to be. That is the whole point of how we use the Enneagram. Now, other people, like we said, a lot of other people use it differently. And so, we can't speak for them and how they use the Enneagram, but for us, if it doesn't point us back to Jesus Christ and what He has done in and through us through His finished or His perfect life, death, resurrection, ascension, then it is of no use for us. But we do see that it has good use. Like you were saying, the, the gospel is the flashlight, but this also helps to give us a little bit more clarity in the fog of our inner world so that we can come to Him with that clarity, so that we can understand uh, the gospel applied to our life on a daily basis personally, and in all of our relationships.
2: Tyler, is there any last words that you'd like to share about kind of bringing these big theological historical debates and then apply to how Christians' use of the Enneagram? Yeah,
1: I'll just say one last thing. And uh, I just appreciate the, the many ways that God speaks to us and that we can learn you know, common grace from the culture. And, uh, you know, my son, uh, Zeke, my youngest, is on the autism spectrum. And so we've gleaned a lot of great... Information uh, from from science, you know, from his meds uh, to his um, psychiatrist to to all these people, and so I, I, we've benefited so much from this this wisdom that's outside the scriptures. And I feel like the same is true for the Enneagram. It's when I came across that it, it was much more profound and moving and helpful than even the Strengths Finder or Myers Briggs. Much more dynamic. Uh, much you know, it really paints a, a picture of growth uh, and where you can go. And so it's profoundly impacted me, and it's so unfortunate that the the symbol looks, you know, like a pentagram. That <laughs> Inchazo and Naranjo said some things off the cuff that were strange and weird, and that people are taking some of these things and running with them. It's so unfortunate because it's so it's been so helpful these these psychology insights um, uh, that are now getting traction in the business world and all over the place. Uh, but but I. I just really really love that God has has spoken in in, um, in all kinds of ways and we can learn from that and use that to to love him to know him more and to to serve others
2: well we we've definitely not covered all the different questions uh, as it relates to the origins or uh, all the different scriptures that may apply to this and the biblical warnings um, regarding how Christians are related so we didn't answer everything. But we hope we've answered enough to give you at least some new curiosities to think through that um, a Christian approach to the Enneagram. Uh, In this next episode, we're going to be talking about the pastoral use of the Enneagram. Um, What does it look like in our ordinary experience of understanding who God is and who we are in relationship to him? And what does it look like in relationship to others and uh, even living out our sense of calling, our, our relationship to creation? which is what was intended in the garden, this fourfold relationship, God, others, creation, and ourselves. Uh, And what does it look like to wisely use the Enneagram um, and where there may be errors? Um, And so we're going to talk through a little bit of Christian worldview versus the worldview of its founders um, and then what it looks like for Christians to use it uh, in a way that brings honor to love God and to love our neighbor. So thanks a lot. So we really appreciate you joining us for this uh, particular episode. And don't uh, forget to look at the show notes. There's going to be some links there that will provide you with some additional resources as you continue along your journey in understanding uh, all that Jesus Christ is for us. Well, we really appreciate you joining us for this particular series, an important series on should the Christians use the Enneagram. We're so grateful for your comments. We're so grateful for your questions that have both led to this these particular episodes, as well as your comments uh, for them. In our show notes, you're going to find a link to our position that includes some additional resources that we've used to prepare for this series. We encourage you to do your research and to look into it further. And please share this episode with your friends and families who have questions about a Christian approach to the Enneagram.
0: And as always, remember that the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It is the gospel that transforms us.